At this beginning of a brand new year, maybe you, like so many other people, and so many of us, have made fresh uh, resolutions. You write down your New Year's resolutions. Have you ever done that? Maybe you did it this year. And maybe you find, like a lot of people do, that even though you make fresh New Year's resolutions, you haven't been terribly successful at the end of the year uh, fulfilling those New Year's resolutions. That's not uncommon at all. I picked this up this past week. I wanted to share it with you. You may remember the English literary giant Samuel Johnson from the 18th century. Uh, In 1738, Samuel Johnson wrote in his diary, Lord, enable me to redeem the time which I have spent in sloth. Nineteen years later, in the same diary, he wrote, Almighty God, enable me to shake off sloth and redeem the time misspent in idleness and sin by diligent application of the days yet coming. For 38 years, he wrote that same prayer or some variation of it. For 38 years. And then he did what a lot of us would do. He looked back on those years and he said, when I look back upon resolution of improvement and the amendments that I've made year after year, over and over, made and broken, why do I yet try and resolve again to do the same thing? And here's what he said. I tried because reformation is necessary and despair is criminal. I try because though I am frail and fragile, and sometimes prideful, it's necessary to improve. And if I make no commitments or no resolutions to improve and get better, I'll never get better. If I make no fresh resolutions to follow Christ more faithfully, I'll just be doing what I was doing last year and the year before and the year before and the year before. We may not be very successful in fulfilling our resolutions But resolutions and even our failure to fulfill them are a reminder, first of all, that we're just people and we need God's help to fulfill any commitments that we make along the way. We need God to help to shape our character and make us new people. And they're also a reminder that back to business as usual is not a goal, it's not a strategy for the future, but instead we need to set in place brand new goals and commitments and strive to improve to follow Christ, and to be better in the coming year. And let God do what he wants to do in our lives. Today we wrap up a short message series where we're saying simply that back to business as usual is not a goal for the future. 2020 has changed our culture. It's changed many of our lives, and many of us are still reeling from those changes. And in churches, we have heard over and over, as pastors pastors have heard over and over, we can't wait till we get back to business as usual. And I can sympathize with that. There's validity to it. There are things that we do as the body of Christ that we yearn to do again. Corporate worship, getting back together without restrictions and ropes and masks, just getting back together and singing the praises of God, how we look forward to that. But if we're not careful, we make getting back to business as usual our primary strategy. And that's not what God wants us to do. As we mentioned in the series, what we do comes from Scripture. How we do it might change. And frequently, drastic changes in the culture or even the way the setting is shaped, and even in our church's context, that often shapes how we do what God wants us to do. Back to business as usual is not a strategy for the future because last year will change the future coming up. We need to be ready to do what God wants us to do. The hazard is, our inclination is to go back to business as usual, 
when we don't know what to do. So in the lapse of any strategy or plan to do something new, we lapse into what we always have done. And we call that a strategy, getting back to business as usual, even though it's not. When we don't know what to do, we tend to default into business as usual. And when we do that, sometimes we miss what God wants us to do. We don't know what to do, so we do what we know how to do, and the danger is missing what God wants us to do. That's what this short series has been about, preparing us as believers in Christ and First Baptist Church as a church. And if you're watching online and you're not uh, an attendee or a member of First Baptist Church, it, ap- it applies to you and to your church as well. They're getting back to business as usual. Now, that's not a strategy for the future. What does God want us to do? How does God want us to see this? So this morning we're going to talk for a few minutes about how God adjusts our perspective how God adjusts our perspective as we move forward into the future, a brand new future, shaped in our case by a pandemic and in many cases by politics and by things not coming up yet, I'm sure. How does God adjust our perspective? Return with me this morning to the Gospel of John in chapter 21. We start 2021 in the Gospel of John in chapter 21. Uh, We're going to start reading in just a moment in verse 7. We'll recap a bit. And then we'll move forward. Uh, But let me remind you of the pivotal statement in John chapter 21 and the setting. Uh, This is a resurrection appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, at the Sea of Galilee. Peter and six other apostles have gone down to the Sea of Galilee. And in verse 3 we read that Peter announced, I'm going fishing. In other words, I'm getting back to business as usual. Now, Peter was not renouncing Christ or saying he was not going to follow Christ or do what Christ wanted him to do. What he was saying is, right now, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to do what I, how I know, what I know how to do, which is to go fishing. And the way the phrase is presented in the original Greek language, he was saying, I'm going to start today fishing and keep fishing. He wasn't saying, I'm turning my back on Christ, but he was saying, I'm going to get back to fishing. Well, he was a businessman. He needed to support his business, and he was a family man. He needed to support his family, so that makes sense. But the flavor of it is, back to business as usual. And the other six apostles say, we're going fishing also. And you'll remember right after that, the Lord Jesus shows up on the shore. Uh, They fish all night. They don't catch anything. They see this man on the shore in the morning, and he tells them, he acknowledges they haven't caught anything. They agree, and he tells them to cast their net on the other side. And there's a miraculous catch of 153 fish floundering around in the net. The net almost tears because of the weight of the fish, and miraculously does not tear. That's where we pick up after the miraculous catch. We see this in verse 7. The apostle John, who calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved, uh, says to Peter, chapter 21 of verse 7, says to Peter, it is the Lord. He recognizes Jesus because of the power of God and the miracle of God. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off and plunged. That is, he took off his outer uh, garment, his heavy garment, so he could work that day. He put it back on, and he plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciple came. Uh, other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net of fish. Now, pick up with me at verse 15, John 21 and verse 15. John continues his narration. He said, "When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked." Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, 
You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. Verse 17, he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie uh, tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved, that is John, following them. And one, uh, the one that had leaned back against Jesus at the supper. And he asked, Lord, is the one that's going to betray you? Uh, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not tell him that John would not die, but said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? When we default into business as usual, we need an adjustment, a perspective adjustment. We need God to remind us what matters most. We need God to remind us who's in charge. And that's what we see happening as we cap off the story this morning. The the focus returns to the Apostle Peter because other than Jesus, he is the primary subject in the story. He's the one that initiated the fishing, and he's the one that swims to shore when they recognize Jesus, by the power of God through the miraculous catch, and he's the one that walks with Jesus along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and is recommissioned and restored to ministry that day. Through this story, we see how God adjusts our perspective, how God gets us ready for the future. Let's focus in on this. It may be that you uh, basically are thinking in terms of 2021 personally. I just want to get back to business as usual. I want to encourage you to understand God may have something new for you. And this is a time of refreshing, a time of recommitment, an opportunity to look differently at things, look at it God's way. One of the best things God can do sometimes is take away business as usual so we focus on what he wants us to see, what he wants us to do. And I believe in this time period, this is a wake-up call for the church and it's a wake-up call for believers. And one of the things we must focus on is how God adjusts our perspective. We need to see God, need to see things the way God sees those things. So how does God do that? How does God adjust our perspective? The first way is that God reminds us of his grace. God reminds us of his grace. Our relationship with God is all about grace. It's not because we deserve it. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are called by grace. We are led by grace. We live by grace. We live in the grace of God, the Bible teaches so God reminds us that of that grace that he accepts us to him. The Bible says earlier that Jesus appeared to Peter when Peter was alone. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to Peter. Uh, and the Bible doesn't expound on that, but uh, it implies as an act of God's grace. And here we see Peter responding to that act of grace. What did Peter do as soon as Jesus was identified on the shore. He jumped out of the boat and he swam to shore. Remember, in that day and time, people did not swim for recreation. 
And if you can imagine, the outer garment he put back on is one of those robes that you see often depicted uh, in, in the ancient times that uh, people of the Middle East wore around. It would have been very heavy with water. Go swimming with your bathrobe on. You'll get an idea, at least a little bit, of what that would have been like. But that didn't stop Peter. He swam to Jesus. He, he recognized that Jesus would accept him. Whether he deserved it or not. And even though he had denied Christ three times, he knew Jesus still loved him and he knew that Jesus was there and would accept him. The power of God, the resurrection of Christ, Christ was there for him and the grace of God in Christ is represented in that resurrection. The first thing God always does is reminds us he saves us by his grace, we serve by his grace, he accepts us by his grace, not because we deserve it, but because that's who Jesus is. The temptation to get back to business as usual is a temptation to duty and good works. It's a temptation that doesn't acknowledge God's grace for service in our lives, that God calls us to him. It's a temptation that says, I'll do things my way and I want God to bless what I do. It's all about action. It's all about impressing God. It's all about doing what I want to do when we default to business as usual. But Jesus says, Come to me and accept my grace. He calls us to him. And we affirm that, that we can only be in ministry. We can only serve him. We can only be saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing he always does is reminds us of his grace. That's how we're here. That's why we're here. And that's why we get to serve Jesus. It's because of his grace. Secondly, God reminds us of his call. He reminds us of his call. Every believer in Christ is called of God to follow Christ faithfully. And every church comprised of believers is called of God to fulfill the Great Commission, to be the body of Christ in this world. It's the call of God that distinguishes believers. In fact, the Bible often refers to our salvation as God's call. It was one of the Apostle Paul's favorite ways of talking about salvation. We are called of God. And eventually it will be one of the Apostle Peter's favorite ways of talking about that salvation, our call of God. In Peter's case, then, it's also a call to ministry as it is for you and I and as it is for every church. We are called of God to fulfill the Great Commission, to minister and to serve for Christ in this world. The most famous part of John chapter 21 is Jesus' walk with Peter on the beach. And it breaks down a trifold restoration of Peter. This is important because Peter denied Christ three times. So Jesus shows up, the resurrected Christ. He invites Peter for a walk on the beach. And in that conversation, he calls him again. He, he restores him. And now they already have fellowship, and he's already been commissioned to serve Christ. Peter hasn't turned his back on that, but the important thing is, by the grace of God, Peter will be restored, he will be forgiven, he will be called out again to his prominent place of leadership and of ministry as a shepherd of God, a pastor, a teacher, a preacher of God, an evangelist, to, lead, to reach the world for Christ and to lead others to do so also. And we often focus on that, those three statements, do you love me? Each with an answer, do you love me? Each with a, a fresh commandment. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And we dig deep into that. We've done that before at First Baptist Church. But this time, I want to look at the bigger picture for a moment. As we're talking about 
perspective and not just defaulting to business as usual, there's an important point here to see in, in the bigger picture. And that's the question itself. Peter, do you love me more than these? And if you do, here's your call. Feed my sheep, shepherd my flock, tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me more than these? Now the question there would be, what was Jesus talking about when he said these? What would these apply to? Well, in the the nuance of Scripture and the the power of God, the richness of what the Bible teaches, it, it has a varied meaning for Peter as it would for you and for me. First, Jesus means, do you love me more than these other six apostles? Do you love me more than them? And and first Peter says, yes, almost pridefully, of course I do. I love you more than them. But then the second time Peter's not so sure, and the third time he is grieved that Jesus even asks. But do you love me more than others? But the other nuance, the other side of it is that these applies to anything else Peter puts in the place of Jesus Christ, even ministry. These things that you do, these things that you want, fishing, business, family, relationships, ministries, do you love me more than these? That's the question for every church and every believer that's tempted to default to business as usual. Here Jesus asks that question. Do you love me more than everything else you've done before? Do you love me more than than the way you've done ministry in the past? Do you love me more than the way you've done music in the past, than the way you've done fellowship in the past, than the way you've done Bible study in the past? Do you love Jesus so much that you would acknowledge, I love Jesus, and no matter what, no matter what, I'll not let anything else get in the way of that love. Do you love Jesus more than your tradition, more than your nostalgia, more than business as usual? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus that much? Do you love Jesus more than getting your way? Do you love Jesus more than your opinion? Do you love Jesus more than politics? Do you love Jesus more than these? The temptation of getting back to business as usual. If we're not careful, what we're saying is, Jesus, I love doing that more than I love following you. I love doing that ministry. I love that tradition. I love my opinion more than I do following Jesus. What a dangerous place to be. And Peter acknowledges it right away. And by the end of the passage, when Peter is grieved, because here's what he's done, he realizes pride has got in the way. He says, you know my heart. And you know, Jesus, I really do love you more than any of these, more than anything else. I'll do whatever you ask because I love you more than these. That's when Jesus restores him to the call. Follow me. Follow me. And that's what it means to follow Christ. When you surrender in faith to Jesus Christ, believer in Christ, when you did that in the past, and those of you that have never surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ, understand that surrenders all to Christ. You say, I love Jesus more than anything else. And nothing will get in the way. No opinion, no politics, no tradition, no past way of doing things. No business as usual. But I love Jesus more than these when I follow Christ. 
That's God's perspective. That's God's perspective. And we adjust to that perspective and freshly commit to follow Christ into the future. Can you do that today? Can you say that today? Hey, honestly, believer in Christ, can you say today, yes, I love Jesus more than any of these. I love Jesus no matter what. I would never let business as usual. I would never let politics, pandemic, chaos in our culture. I would never let Facebook friends get in the way of me loving Jesus. Can you say that? Have you done that? I think today, before we get going much further in 2021, it's a good time to say, Jesus, forgive me. And let me start over and say, I love Jesus more than these. And you'll hear that fresh call, that restoration, follow me. God reminds us of our call. We have one call, and that's to follow Christ. And it comes out of a heart of loving Christ. God reminds us of his grace. And God reminds us of his call. Then God reminds us of his authority. God reminds us of his authority. When the conversation closes out, with Peter. It's kind of an unusual close to the book of John. Uh, right away when, when Peter acknowledges finally that he, he loves Jesus more than anything else, Jesus reminds him of his authority. And, and it's illustrated two ways in the conversation. There's two parts of Jesus' authority that help us adjust our perspective away from business as usual and toward the future that God wants us to have. First of all, he, he shows authority in that God designs our conclusion. God designs our conclusion. That is to say, God designs our life in a way that if we are faithful to follow Christ, he knows what comes next. And as he says to Peter, he knows how we will glorify him in our lives. That's the only way to glorify God in your life is to follow him forward in the way that he has designed for you. God gives a purpose and a plan for everyone, and when you come to Christ, that's set in motion, and you will glorify God in your life. For Peter, he puts the period on it. He even tells Peter how his life of service will end. And John reflects on this looking forward uh, as he knows the prophecy of Christ, the foretelling of Christ, uh, that Peter would be arrested, and in 67 or 68 A.D., in that winter time under Emperor Nero when many Christians were swept up and persecuted, the Apostle Peter was also swept up as a leader of the church. And he was crucified and martyred for Christ. We think of crucifixion on the cross as just one kind of crucifixion because we're most familiar with the crucifixion of Christ and just one cross, and that's what we call the cross. But the Romans actually used three versions of that, and one of those was an X-beam, and the person would be crucified spread arms and legs spread out on the X's. That's how Peter was crucified, but he demanded to be crucified upside down because he said he was not worthy to be crucified the same way as the Lord Jesus Christ. And he glorified God with his life, and he glorified God in his death. Why? Because he answered the call. He was restored. He moved forward in loving Jesus. And God reminded him he already designed that life and that conclusion. The point is, living for Jesus means God will glorify himself in your life. God will show up in ways only God can do. God will, will show up in the power of God. God's not interested in what you and I can do. 
God's interested in what he can do in our lives, and that's what he wants the world to see. To glorify God in your life, to see God glorify himself, means you fully surrender to him, and you let him work through your life in 2021 to see what he can do. Business as usual says, God, look at what I can do. Surrendering to God says, I want to see you work in my life, and other people see that as well. God reminds of his, uh, of his authority because he has designed our lives. And then also God reminds us of his authority because God determines our assignments. God determines our assignments. As Peter and Jesus are walking along the beach, Peter looks behind him and sees the Apostle John walking behind him. And reflecting on what Peter has just said about the conclusion, excuse me, what Jesus has just said about the conclusion of Peter's life, Peter asked Jesus, well, what about him? What about him? And Jesus' answer, we need to digest. Because Jesus says, what about him? What business is it of yours what I decide for him? Your only business is what I decide for you. The assignment I have given you, Peter, that's what matters most. In modern day language, Jesus would have said, you know what, that's none of your business, Pete. Because I make the assignments. I decide who does what in ministry and how they do it. I decide your life course and your purpose. Stop looking around. Stop staring at other people. Stop saying, well, what about him? What about her? What about that? And focus on your relationship with Christ, your walk with Christ. Focus on your assignment. Just like Peter, believers in Christ so often drift into this comparison mode. And Peter, for Peter, almost right away, right after he had acknowledged his love for Jesus, his restoration to ministry had happened, almost right after that, his pride wells up. And he says, well, what about him? I want to know what he's going to do. Well, Peter, that's, that's not your problem. And that's not your plan. And that's not your purpose. Any distraction, anytime we look at other people, that, that's a distraction from what God wants you to do. Anytime you drift into competition mode, what about him? What about her? That's a distraction from what God wants you to do. And it diminishes who God made you to be. God has a call on your life. God has a place for you in ministry at First Baptist Church, in the community, in other churches elsewhere if that's you. But God has a call on your life. Let God worry about the other guy or the other one. Let God worry about them. You focus on your love relationship with God. And church, pay attention to this. Because Christians, again, we're notorious for doing this. Not only when we look at one another, other believers, but when we look at other churches. Let's do what that church does. That church is doing that. That church is reaching them. That church is, is over there. Look at what they're doing. We need to do that. So the First Baptist Church of Shalot, let, let me say this. It's very important. There is only one First Baptist Church of Shalot in the world and in history. Why would we not want to do what God designed us to do? Why would we look at every other church on how they're doing things and say, we need to do that. The what matters. Worship, evangelism, discipleship, teaching, ministry, service. The what we all should be doing. The how, that's up to the context, the personality of the church, and the call of God on that church. 
God makes the assignment. God determines our part. The sad truth is, when we see ourselves in competition with other churches, when we look around and we say, we need to do that, we need to do that, we need to do that, look at who they're reaching, we need to reach who they're reaching. You know what the problem with that is? It means we're not reaching who we're supposed to be reaching. There's a reason, First Baptist Church of Shalote, that in Brunswick County alone and in our ministry area, there are thousands of lost people. You know why that is? Because too many churches are just competing with other churches for the same thing, business as usual. How dare we presume on God that His primary purpose for our church is to be like every other church? God has called us to do what God has called us to do. And that's never business as usual. It's what First Baptist Church has been called to you to do. And believer in Christ, God has called you to plug into the ministries of First Baptist Church or your home church, wherever you are. You need to understand, if you go through your Christian life and you never accept and submit to the assignment of ministry that God has you to do, He's going to ask you about that. You're going to answer for that. Don't look around and say, well, somebody else is doing that. You do what God has called you to do. That's why we're here. God determines the assignment. God determines the assignment. Let's make sure that we're doing what God wants us to do. Believer in Christ, when you trust that Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that God set you on a journey of good works He had already pre-designed for you to do. He set you on a journey of ministry that He wanted you to plug into. He set you on a journey of relationships of people He wanted you to impact. God is at work in your life. God sees your life from an eternal perspective. Not from just this ground level. God sees your life from an eternal perspective. We serve Christ faithfully when we adjust to His perspective instead of asking Him to adjust to our perspective. That's the call of God in Jesus Christ. Church, God's call on us is to fulfill the Great Commission in our generation the way He has called us to do it. And if that means shifting and changing ministries, adopting new ones and letting old ones go, that's what we'll do. Because we are assigned to glorify God in our generation and our purposes. We are not assigned to mimic somebody else. God's called us to do what God's called us to do. And God willing, that's what we'll do. May we never, may we never drift back into, settle for business as usual at First Baptist Church. And may you never do so in your own life as well. God's called us to greater things that God wants us to do. That's our call. That's our purpose. And God makes those assignments. You may remember that in December, Dawn Wells, the actress, passed away from complications to COVID-19. Now, if the name doesn't ring a bell, it's because you didn't grow up in the 60s. Uh, Dawn Wells played Mary Ann on Gilligan's Island. You remember that? Maybe. There are reruns of Gilligan's Island on. I have no idea why. But the, the show ran three years in the 60s, and you can tune into those reruns uh, anytime you want to. Dawn Wells uh, grew up in Nevada. She was a native of Reno. Uh, she was Miss Nevada. That was her biggest claim to fame before she went into acting. And she read for the part and received a script for this show called Gilligan's Island. And 
The part that she was asked to read for simply said, Kansas farm girl. That's all it said. Uh, it was not developed. It wasn't fleshed out. There was no characterization. All it said was Kansas farm girl. Most of the other parts in the script were stereotypes from Hollywood at the time. A millionaire and his wife, the skipper, a professor, Gilligan, the first mate. And they were all fleshed out in characterizations in the script. But Marianne, the Kansas farm girl, was just called the Kansas farm girl. This was illustrated in the opening song in, in the first season. And if you ever watch the show, you see it on YouTube also. This is what it said. Now, I'm not going to sing that song. You'll be so glad to know. But if you remember the show, you'll remember it lists the cast of characters. Gilligan, the skipper too, a millionaire and his wife, a movie star, another stereotype. And then in the first season, it stopped right there, and all it said was, and the rest. That's all it said. It listed the ones that were considered the most important, and then it just said, and the rest. Dawn Wells was asked about that later, and she said, not only did I have no problem with that, I liked it. And I liked the fact that in the script, Kansas farm girl, Mary Ann, was not, had no characterization, wasn't fleshed out at all. She was just there. Because she said, what that meant for me is, she said, I got to flesh out Mary Ann. I got to become Mary Ann. I got to make Mary Ann who Mary Ann would always be. The script writers didn't do that. I did that. And in the second season, guess what? And the rest became the professor and Mary Ann. You know, in Hollywood, when you're watching a movie and the credits come up, a lot of times the primary actors are at the beginning. And as the credits go on, a lot of times there will be, at the end, special featured, most significant actors who had particular roles in that film or on that show. And they'll always say something like, and with their name, or featuring with their name. I think it's best that Marianne Dawn Wells was and Marianne. She was no longer one of the rest. She was one of the most significant. One of the most significant. And she knew it. Believer, listen. When you default to business as usual, you're defaulting to be one of the rest. I'll just be like everybody else. I'll just do what we've always done. I'll do what that guy does, what that lady does, what that church does. I'll just want to be one of the rest. God does not want you to be one of the rest. God has written a story with your assignment, your part in mind. And God has written the story of First Baptist Church of Shalot with our assignment in mind. God help us if all we do is default to business as usual. Believer in Christ, I want to challenge you this morning to a fresh, real restoration, a commitment to follow Christ. I want to challenge you this morning to say to Jesus Christ with me in prayer, and I'll pray for you just a moment, to say, I love you more than these, Jesus. Forgive me if I put anything in place of you. I love you more. I want to love you more. I want to grow in that love. And whatever you call me to, I will do. Whatever you desire of me, that's what I'll do. I want to hear the fresh call of God, follow me, and I want to follow Christ fresh this year in a brand new year. And if you're listening and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you accept the call to follow Christ for the first time?
today. Would you realize that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for you? God raised him from the grave. And the resurrected Christ is calling you to his grace just as he did to Peter so long ago. But he's calling you out now to trust him as your Savior, to forgive you of your sins, to set you on that journey, on that life, that significant, purposeful life that he has given for you as he gives you eternal life as well. Would you do that today? I'm going to pray for you also. So first I'm going to pray for believers in our fresh commitment to love Jesus and to follow Christ. And then I'm going to pray for those of you who have never trusted Christ as your Savior. A prayer that you can pray with me today to trust Christ, to call Him into your heart, to accept His grace of forgiveness and salvation today. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this service, Father, please, please forgive us as a church And as believers in Christ, forgive us, God, if we have defaulted into business as usual. When you have called us to greater things, God, please forgive us for that. And God, for every believer in Christ this morning, as you mold and you shape our hearts, you speak to us, God, would we say to you today, God, forgive me for going back to business as usual. Father, forgive me for loving anything more than you. Father, we would say today, I love Jesus more than these more than anything else, more than business as usual, more than my tradition, more than my politics, even more than my family. God, I love Jesus more than anything or anyone. Would we say that today? And Father, I pray for us as believers in Christ, we would refresh and recommit ourselves in 2021 to following Christ. And Father, for that one who's never trusted Christ as their Savior, Father, I know you're speaking to their heart, God. I know you're shaping their heart right now, showing them sin in their lives. They need to confess. God, I pray today they would pray this prayer with me. And today would be the starting point where they follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and that you're alive today. And Jesus, you're calling me to you and to your grace. So Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, into my life. Cleanse me. And from this point forward, I will follow Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Father, for all of us that have prayed those prayers today, God, do a fresh work in us today. And I pray also, Father, we would make those commitments firm. We would establish them today. Filling out a card, calling a friend, telling our family that we made a fresh commitment to Christ. We would do that today and follow through with those commitments. God, we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. If you prayed that prayer with